I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section, called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Thus, preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an internal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. 
But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Uh, that is no easy task, Annabelle, to read chapters 9 from start to finish. Um, and so a quick shout out to our young people who are eager to uh, serve God's church. And so by reading God's word and then also so faithfully serving in the back uh, week in and week out. So if you're a young person, being involved is, is really, really amazing. So Annabelle, thank you so much for reading that. That was uh, one big chunk of scripture. Uh, this is uh, Passion Week. This is Holy Week. Uh, today is Palm Sunday, as uh, some of us know. Uh, we will culminate uh, this week knowing that uh, on Good Friday, uh, Jesus dies for our sins. And then we start a brand new uh, week on Easter Sunday when we gather in here uh, a week from today. We will be celebrating Easter uh, because the old has gone and the new has come and we have been redeemed in Christ Jesus. Um, however, it is important before we get to Easter Sunday, before we get to the resurrection, before we get to hope, for us to understand what we are being saved from, uh, for us to understand exactly the depth of why Jesus had to come. Um, like we said uh, early on, uh, earlier in the service, today we're going to talk specifically about the cross and about Jesus and about Jesus' death. And so we're going to get into the weeds a little bit, knowing all kinds of details. And so we're using uh, Hebrews 9, and especially uh, verses uh, 12 and verse 14, verses 22 and verses 25 and following as our really our core text this morning to really think about uh, the cross. Um, as a society, I think it's beneficial for us to actually think clearly and be able to articulate the things of the cross. I mean, that's an entire society. And so you may not be a follower of Jesus in here this morning. That's okay. Thank you for being here. You are welcome. That's wonderful. But it's still good for you, even if you don't follow Jesus, for you to examine uh, the cross. Uh, for you who follow Jesus, who call Jesus Lord and Savior, it is good for you to look at the cross. We see that in the cross it is... It, is, it changed history, so you, could, you don't have to follow Jesus to understand that something happened 2,000 years ago, so much so that our calendar changed. And so it is one of the most beautiful pieces of history because it changed all of human history. Uh, but if you are a follower of Jesus, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of sacrifice that, that the world has ever seen. We need, as a society, to look at the cross and be able, to, be able to articulate the things of the cross. Being able to correctly look at this event and being able to step into it will help us and our hearts to be humble. This is one of the most essential character traits. This is one of the most essential even emotions. This idea of humility. That someone would go to this great extent for someone else. This picture of sacrifice is amazing. Because here at the cross, understanding that the, looking at the cross will make us humble. This is our only chance for our hearts to be rendered, our hearts to be softened, and for us to truly worship Jesus. 
And that's what we're here. I mean, that's why you gathered. Not as a social event, not because you're supposed to. Please don't come into a space like this out of obligation. It truly is to worship Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, just know that that's our aim. For your heart to be softened and for you to begin to worship Jesus. That's what the cross does. By looking at it and seeing its ramifications, that's what we do. Throughout Hebrews, and we've been teaching very slowly through this, through this wonderful book, we have seen that Jesus is better. The writer of the Hebrews is trying to lift up every wonderful religious uh, um, edifice and say, look at how wonderful these things are, and then shift our eyes or shift our attention to say that Jesus is better. Remember how wonderful creation is and was, Jesus is better than that. Remember how wonderful and, and, and great angels are, Jesus is better than, better than them. Remember how wonderful and just devout Moses was, Jesus is better. And it goes on and on and on uh, and on it goes because Jesus has to be better than every other religious system that we have because he is the one that could only offer himself once. As we see in verse 25, we see that it is repeated over and over and over. And that's what religion will do. It'll force you to do something over and over and over. And so you become a little bit chaotic. Here Jesus says, once and for all. That's the theme of chapter 9. That once and for all, there was one sacrifice and one thing that happened for you and my, me for our hearts to be changed forever. Jesus' experience on the cross is the one thing that will help you and I understand our sin. The moment of the cross and being able to picture the cross is one of the only things that will get our attention but will explicitly tell us about our own sin. The cross actually helps us see our sin as God sees our sin. And that's why we're going to press in on kind of the, the severity of the cross this morning. Because we want to be shocked and we want to be awed. Not for shock and awe sake, but for to be a mirror sake to say, this is where my dark heart is. This is how my sinful state truly is. I want to see myself for who I am. Because we're great liars, aren't we? Maybe not in a blatant kind of way, like um, trying to steal something and lie about it. But we are great liars in the fact that we think we're a little bit better than we really are. We think that things are not as bad as they really are. And we tend to kind of gloss over things a bit more, a bit much. The cross will not let us wiggle. The cross will force us to look at ourselves in a real and powerful way. Because it is here that we are the most honest. It's here, looking at the cross, where we understand ourselves finally. The details of the cross are grotesque. The details of the cross are horrifying. We will talk about those this morning. We will not talk about the grotesqueness or the, the severity of the cross only. We will see what Jesus went through because he took our place. He who knew no sin actually became sin for us, the first Corinthians would say. He who knew no sin would actually become sin for us. 
the horrific nature of the cross is him taking on what belonged to you and I. This is God looking at us, God looking at sin, and Jesus stepping into that place because only he could do that in, in that great way. So this is our admission, finally, of some honesty. This is our admission, looking at the idea that something's wrong with our world. Something is truly wrong because that's the reason we remodel our kitchens. Because the old was not as good as the new. That is the reason that you try to go to rehab. Because your body is a little bit broken and you want it to feel or do something better. That's the reason that we buy better clothing is because we try to cover up the old and outdated styles. We're finally telling ourselves some kind of truths about ourselves when we do these things. They're not bad, but they're proving the point. We're finally being honest that something's broken and we have to be re rehabilitated or we need to be remodeled. I mean, just the fact that the, there is a, a makeup line called Cover Girl right? Just, I mean, just the fact, what's wrong with the girl? Like, why does she need to be covered up, right? I mean, this, this is a strong point, but this is the time where we're finally saying, I am admitting that I have faults, or I am assured that there are faults in this world, and we have to do something about it, but we will see that the thing that covers, the things that purifies, as our passage will say. The thing that will step into that gap is not something pretty or remodeled at all, but instead something that is deteriorating and rough around the edges. That's the cross of Jesus and his sacrifice. I came to preach this morning. Hold on. Ultimately, I'm afraid of the American church because we try to put our best foot forward. And we try so very much to please God or prove God right. And so with our lives, we are trying to pretty up to him in the same way that we pretty up to others. Or try to be impressive to him in the same way that we try to impress others. Here in the cross of Christ, we realize that we have nothing to offer. He had to do that work on our behalf. Because high priest after high priest would walk into the holy place year after year after year, and it would never end. The cycle would never end before Jesus. The fact is that we need to look at the cross of Jesus because we are not adequate we have no adequacy to come before Jesus or come before God. And that's why we have to rest on Jesus and his sacrifice. And that's why Good Friday is called Good Friday. Not because it looks good. The very opposite. It looks horrific. It is Good Friday because this is where we see where love truly flows. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Good Friday is good because we have seen someone in such a sacrificial way lay down his life for you and me. That should have been us, God says. But I sent one on your behalf. That's why we have to look squarely at the cross and see it because that's where we're going to find hope. That's where we're going to find beauty and that's hopefully where our hearts will be rendered and we will worship him.
In our day and time, uh, we really do lack a clear picture of just the severity of the cross. We, just, we, we don't see it in our day and time. You and I have never, I mean, I would say never, I guess there's a possibility, um, but we have rarely, if ever, seen a real life crucifixion. That is a, a, a picture of antiquity. That is a, of yesteryear. That it just does not equate for our Western mindset here in 2018. We simply have no idea what it's like. We've been around the gospel. We've been around Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been around Easter services. So we know about the cross, but we haven't been squared up. We haven't been asked to truly focus in on the, the specifics of the cross and that want to do this morning because we are so far removed from this type of torture it's important for us to have some kind of clarity of that it's amazing to us that the maybe the electric chair or lethal injection maybe even hanging that these things are somewhat humane compared to what we will hear about the crucifixion of Jesus or crucifixions in general we may have watched a show on the History Channel. We may have seen the Passion of the Christ. So we may have some idea, but let's dive in this morning because we need to understand what's at stake. Throughout the scriptures, we see blood and we see the cross mentioned over and over and over. What's at stake is if we do not have an appreciation for what Jesus went through on our behalf, if we do not see our sin and what sin truly looks like, then we will lack an appreciation and we will lack an understanding of our worship and we will un be unable to really say, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my Messiah. He is my Lord. He is the one that I worship. So that's what we're really going after is for your heart to be melted so that we can truly worship Jesus. Usually preach, you know, kind of verse by verse. That will not be the case uh, this morning. But I do want to read just the, 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 the verses that I, I mentioned earlier because this is kind of the foundation for all of the material this morning. Hebrews 12, and these should all be printed in your bulletin. Hebrews 12, 9, 12 says this. Uh, Jesus, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but there is another means. There is another source. We've been used to this old system before, but now there's something else. There's a different kind, even quality of blood by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse four or 14 even says, how much more will the blood of Christ? And we understand that the blood of Christ, that Jesus is our better sacrifice. That is the theme of nine, uh, chapter nine, that Jesus is our better sacrifice. How much more will the blood of Christ do this and this and this and this? And the, and the author of Hebrews continues to tell us exactly what the cross of Christ does for us. Keep moving down to verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood. But we understand that that blood was the blood of bulls and goats and calves and heifers and all these types of things. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. That hasn't changed, right? The medium hasn't changed, but the means have. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is what is at stake here. Will you be reconciled with God alone? Verse 25 says this, nor was, it, uh, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. This is talking about Jesus. 
as the high priest goes into the holy places over and over and over repeatedly, year, 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 year in and year out, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the bloods not his own. Here's the precipice here. For tw- verse 20, uh, 26. For then he would have had to um, suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, now this is the fact, it says. As, but as it is, he has appointed once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I have it in all caps and underlined in my notes. Of himself. He has come with the blood of himself. Will mentioned uh, Romans 5, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've already quoted 1 John three sixteen. Jesus is truly our better sacrifice. And so what does it mean to bleed? What does it mean to have blood? What does it mean to die on the cross for our sins? Here's a quick history of crucifixion. All of this stuff was found, um, not in my brain, um, but uh, lots of research. A, a lot of it comes from a book called Doctrine on a, on a chapter just entitled The Cross. And so in the early days, crucifixion, uh, crucifixion was uh, early on, it was simple impalement. One stick, one spike, throw a guy or girl up on top and just let him kind of just be skewered. Um, we, they were able to see that this type of torture just made the, the victim truly miserable, truly miserable. And so it continued to morph and continued to change. So much so that we, we understand that crucifixion came into popularity with Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he was not great at all, for in one station he, he crucified over 2,000 men at one time. These are truly brutal, brutal people. You've heard of the gladiator Spartacus. Spartacus comes into Rome, he dies. The Romans were able to capture 120,000 people. They're now a part of the Roman Empire to set the story straight, to, to make Uh, all of the gladiators know who was in charge the Romans then take of the 120,000 they take uh, 6,000 making sure that's right 6,000 men and crucify them on one single road the road was 120 miles long it's from Johnson City all the way to Knoxville every 35 uh, yards there was another man on a cross from here to Johnson City you just or from Johnson City to Knoxville you just walk 120 miles and every 35 um, yards you would see a man who was crucified it's brutal the Romans they were just specialized killers I mean they were just entirely grotesque in fact that they had their their job was to be professional killers And so much so that uh, they would break up into colonies and they would specialize in how to bring pain onto the human body. They began to realize that crucifixion was the one thing that would really make the victim squirm and truly cry out in agony, truly repent of the horrific sins that they have committed against the the Romans. And so therefore they, the people who was crucified, became the greatest spokesman for, the Roman, uh, for, for all of Rome because these men were saying, you don't want to be me. You do not want to suffer as I am suffering. So it was a truly a way to keep order. The phases of pain were just immense. We know that on the night that Jesus died, that he gathered with his friends and he gathered um, around a meal called the Passover, what we call like, the Lord's Supper, or the upper room. And we know that for 1,500 years that this supper, 
right? This Passover meal, this celebration had been going on. And that the centerpiece of that meal was a lamb. A lamb that was one years old, that was, uh, was spotless and blem- uh, had no blemish. And the, the, the male of the family, the, the father of the family, would go and take this perfect lamb, would slit the lamb's throat on purpose, right? And therefore, the lamb would signify, right, the, the savior or the salvation of the Israel, Israel people. So every single year, looking at the idea that there was a, a lamb, a perfect one, that would die on our behalf, happened year in and year after, year out. Because there was a night in e- Egypt, a night where there was a death angel that was going to come over the land. And the only way the death angel would not touch the firstborn son or the firstborn of even your livestock or cattle the only way that that death angel would not touch every single family with death is for a family to be found underneath the blood of the lamb. Year in and year out, the people would celebrate the fact that they had been passed over. The death angel did not touch them. And they would recognize that there was something powerful in this lamb. The blood of the lamb would actually save them. And that's why John the Baptist comes and says, behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was that Lamb. He was the perfect one to die, to give his blood on our behalf. During dinner, Jesus comes to our table and he says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. We see that year in and year out. Jesus, the firstborn of the Son of God, had to come and die to cover for our sins. After the meal, Jesus was betrayed and he was put on trial all night long. He was then ushered from Roman uh, governments to uh, Jewish governments back and forth and back and forth, those types of things. And then when sun, the sun comes up, one final trial and he is committed and he is going to be crucified. Before he's crucified, there's the, the Bible it just says that he was scourged, that he was beaten on our behalf. This is where it gets strong because Isaiah tells us that it wasn't just the crucifixion that mattered. It was actually the fact that his body truly could not be recognized. Isaiah 52 says it like this, verse 14. As many were astonished at you. I mean, this is 600 years before Jesus comes onto the planet. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Isaiah 52, verse 14. The scourging was truly horrific where they grabbed your wrist and tied them to a tree or a pole or those types of things, exposing your back. And so the Romans, these professional killers, they just knew how to make you wince and cry. They'd want to kill you. If they wanted to kill you, they'd, they'd open up your, 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 your cavity here. But instead, they just exposed your back. And so they would whip you. There was this thing called a cat of nine tails. We've seen that. We don't have to get graphic. But we understand that this device was meant to truly split your back and your shoulders and your legs completely open. It's meant to create so much pain that the, that the, um, that the soldier... Or the victim wanted to die, but could not die. This is Jesus. Jesus was scourged on our behalf. Not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus securing the redemption, our eternal redemption. 
how much more would this cost, how precious, how much more would the blood of Christ be able to change our lives forever? We have to see these things and we have to understand these things, not because we want to be just awful and dark on purpose, but we have to see our sin for what it is. Remember, this was no criminal. This was no thief. This was no high act of treason. This was the perfect lamb of God, the son of God, the holy one, the perfect one. This is the one that came from heaven to incarnate, to come beside us. This was Jesus who did this on our behalf. Not to offer himself repeatedly year after year, but has appeared once and for all to be scourged on our behalf. Jesus then was asked to pick up a big beam of wood. A wood, a piece of wood that was meant and carved to be splintery on purpose. He knew exactly where this, this piece of wood was going to lay. On the back or on the shoulders of the back that they had just beaten. It was heavy, somewhere between 80, 100 pounds, something like that. Enough, it was heavy enough to be able to feel the weight. They would strap his, the wrists onto the crossbar and make him walk about a mile or so. Jesus, we, t- we hear, was too weak to carry his own cross. That's how bad he was beaten. The expectation was that the, the person would be able to make it to the place where he was going to crucify. Jesus was so weak, he, he couldn't even do that. The pain of crucifixion was equally as horrendous. Um, the book tells me that the word excruciating, just the actual word excruciating comes from the phrase, from the cross. This tells us just the severity that Jesus went through. The person who dies usually dies of what is called asphyxiation, literally dying because the weight of his chest, he was unable to breathe. Able to um, either drown on his, his own blood or just being unable to breathe. This is Jesus hanging, literally hanging on the cross for our sins, literally dying or choking to death. We know that something between five to seven inch nail was pierced either right here in between the two bones here or through the palm. Either way, really, really sensitive place so that the the weight of Jesus' body, a full-grown Jewish man, was literally hanging on very sensitive places. This kind of thing happened not in a back hallway. This is not Guantanamo Bay where it's behind closed doors and nobody sees this stuff. But in fact, Jesus was executed out in public. It was likely that he was stripped naked in front of everyone in a major highway so people could come up and stare at him and mock him and just watch him die. And again, the Romans loved this kind of stuff. I mean, this was, this was their bracket. This is the stuff that they loved was to see people in pain. This was our Savior going through this on our behalf. Once dead, it gets as bad because the the carcasses of these dead people were just disregarded. Renew, reuse, recycle, you know, that's, that's our phrase. The only thing recyclable in this scenario was the wooden beam that they would go back to go get another person. 
So they would reuse the beam, but they would not have any regard or any value of the person itself. They would be thrown into an ash heap to be burned, vultures, dogs, whenever, just total disregard for the human body whatsoever. So much so that this is so despicable that both the Jewish and Roman philosopher and historian would call crucifixion the most wretched of all deaths. This is what Jesus does, does on our behalf. Hebrews 9.27, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, so our Jesus, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, Romans 9, 27. Sorry, Hebrews 9, 27, because Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us. This is how much God loves us, that while we were still sinners, while we deserved all that, Christ died for us. Later, the Hebrew author would say, for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. The idea of all the scourging and the crucifixion and the, the walking and the pain and the agony. He knew all of that. He, none of this came as a surprise to him. The wrath of God that was about to descend on him for the forgiveness of sins. He knew, he knew all of that. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured all that. And so what is that joy? What kind of joy and hope comes from that is because he knew that he would be able to liberate sinners like you and me and we would 2,000 years later be able to gather under his name and under his umbrella and his banner and say, worthy are you to, who is honored to be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are the lamb who is slain for our sins and we want to say thank you for him. This is our job on this Palm Sunday to say thank you for what you have done for us, we sinners. So much so that God doesn't even see our sin anymore. The, Hebrews, or the, the Bible tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This scourging, this crucifixion, this agony and pain and wrath did something that would change all of human history. That the wrath of God was no longer going to be poured out on you and me, but was poured out on Jesus. That's why Good Friday is good for us. It was not good for Jesus. He experienced separation and wrath of God, but he was able to set an entire people free to worship him in honor and glory and praise. He gave himself for us. And so this makes us worship out of joy. This helps us to worship God out of joy and hope. This phrase and this refrain in chapter 9 is that once and for all. The high priest knew it was his job to show up in the Holy of Holies. That's his job. You go and you go on behalf of the people to God. And every year he knew his job. The people of God knew that their job was to come and offer sacrifices. That's their job. Jesus knew what his job was. Was to erase all that religious garb. To push all of that and say all of those things were important. But they only pointed to me. 
And so with great joy, we can therefore look backwards and worship in joy over the fact that there's the phrase once and for all. Jesus was able, even as beaten as he was, as weak as he was, he was able to usher, I mean, under the weight of all of his, uh, all the pain, he was able to usher out onto us these words that will last for all eternity. He was able to say, it is finished once and for all. All, it is over, it is done. Father, into, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's over. And so what is our job? Is to simply give him credit. Is to simply point our affections toward him for taking our place. We are to come into spaces like this in worship, not out of obligation, but out of true joy and true humility. Or humility that there is an actual object of our affections and his name is Jesus, our Lord. The cross has become the world's most recognizable symbol. Redstone Church named our church after this horrific event. Red standing for the blood of Christ Jesus given for us for the forgiveness of sin. Stone represents the stone rolled away on Easter Sunday declaring that he has defeated both sin and death. And church stands for this great commission for us to go and to make disciples, to replicate the person and work of Jesus over and over and over again. How can something so horrific become something that is something that we lift up, we actually name churches after? Good Friday is Good Friday because we get to worship him. Um... We've been too small or maybe just uh, too unorganized to actually ever have a Good Friday service. This Good Friday will be a little bit different. Um, We're going to let another church do all the heavy lifting and we just get to participate. Um, But at 6.30 on Good Friday, after you get off of work and hopefully you're able to make it. But at Founders Park, right, in the dead of Johnson City, uh, there will be three churches in collaboration that will come together and lift up the name of Jesus in the middle of Johnson City, right? And this will be a glorious, glorious time of of fellowship and a glorious time of worship together. But we will gather on Good Friday, knowing the way, the only reason it was good is because we know that Christ's sacrifice was found pleasing to the Father. Three days later, the stone is rolled away and Jesus is risen. Sin and death had been conquered for our behalf. The scriptures simply say that Christ died for sin. That Christ died because of our sin. It's that simple. It was our sin that he bore. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The reason we went to such depths this morning to look at the cross And this horrific moment in time is for you and I to understand the depths and the gravity of our sin. What are you going to do with the sin that is in your heart and in your mind and through your hands? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Who's going to stand in your place? 
Who's going to take that kind of pain and that kind of punishment for you? This morning, we all beg you if you are counting on yourself, counting on a religious edifice or some kind of structure to save your soul. There is no such thing. There's Christ Jesus and his sacrifice only that can deal with the wrath and the pain of God. We do not have the luxury of seeing death. We don't understand the gore or the violence. But we understand that there's something, there's some reason that we get queasy around blood or at the mention of blood. Because blood has been always linked to death. Always been linked to life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our scriptures tell us that there was a voluntary act of shedding for us, for you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. As the Hebrews author has told us before, we would encourage you to consider Christ this morning. Consider his sacrifice, not your own. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would remove every hurdle right now that stands between the heart of a sinful man and your glory and your grace and your forgiveness. I pray that there are men and that there are women, that there may be some children or middle schoolers or high schoolers declare in their heart and their mind, I want forgiveness of sin. I want my sins to be forgiven. And then declare you, Jesus, worthy to take that sin. For you considered it a joy to endure all of that pain for us. Dear friend, if you are here and far from Jesus or do not follow Jesus, very simply say, I trust you, Jesus. You took the pain that I deserved. Will you forgive me this morning? It's that simple. Turn from yourself and turn from anything that you're trusting and just turn to Jesus and say, forgive me, Jesus. Isaiah 52 and following says this, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of God been revealed? For he grew up before them like a young plant 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ Jesus is the one that we lift up this morning for only he could do these things. And we come to celebrate the communion table underneath this weighty fact that he gave his life for us. He took a piece of bread and he broke and he said, this is my body given for you. This is what's gonna happen to me over and over and over and over and over and over. I am gladly giving my life for you to make for myself a people. And there will be a new covenant where there will be forgiveness of sins for once and for all. My blood will be spilled for the forgiveness of sin. He did it with joy. He did it with gladness. He did it so that we would spend all eternity with him. This pain was turned to joy. This death was turned to life. I would have you stand now and know that we do communion at Redstone Church every single week where we look at the the table of Jesus and we look at what Jesus has done for us and we respond. Some of you need to respond in a more significant way. Respond and declare that Jesus, you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Uh, Jerry Williams is going to be in the back. Um, I'm going to be back there. If you want someone to talk with you or pray with you, just know that we are back there and we would love to do that. For those who follow Jesus already, for you to respond is to come to this table with just worship in your heart, knowing that he did this gladly for you. And so there's station, there's men that's going to be serving this, this table to you. There's going to be a cracker that's gluten-free and a little thimble of, of blood. Go ahead and take uh, one of each and take uh, by yourselves or take with a family unit or, or your community group. It really doesn't matter, but come and partake of God, God giving his life for us. These stations are now open.